All right, all right. Come on, how are we doing this morning, everybody? We're doing good. Come on, you guys who are here in person, I need you to help me welcome those who are watching online this morning, all of our church family who's watching at home or, or wherever you are this morning. We're so glad that you're joining in and we're glad that you're with us no matter how you're with us. Come on, would y'all help me make some noise? Welcome them this morning. Glad that you're here. Come on, y'all gotta do better than that. This is your church family. Come on, let them know we love them. We're glad you're here joining in. All right. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, I'm excited to be diving into a brand new series today about relationships, and it's going to be a little different spin. Uh, usually we talk about relationships this time of year. It's Valentine's Day. People are thinking about marriage and dating and romance, and we usually lean into the marriage and dating and romantic side of relationships. We will touch on that throughout the series, but really we're going to talk about all relationships, your friendships, uh, all the interactions that you have with people, because uh, I, I think healthy, life-giving, God-honoring relationships are really under assault uh, by the enemy. And, uh, and so we're going to expose the lies of Satan throughout this series. In fact, today I'm going to be pretty direct with you. One of the things I do love about the season we're in right now is I feel like people who are coming to church are hungry for truth. And um, I don't really have to pull punches. So we're going to go right at it today. Is that all right with you? And uh, we're going to dive right in and see what God's Word has to say. And, and really my strategy, the strategy throughout this series is to uh, expose the lies of Satan as it relates to relationship, and then we're going to counter those with the truth of God's Word and then tell you how to deal with them, how to get out of them, and I, I think God's going to do some cool things in our lives as a result. Now, before I get into the, the content, I just wanted to say to all of you, I, I missed you last weekend, um, and then last Sunday night, I, I don't know if you know, there was a fairly significant football game uh, that gets played every year. Um, I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, so if you've been attending True Life long enough, you know uh, Kansas City Chiefs are a big deal in our house. I mean, a big deal. And um, so, like, we love Jesus, and then, in fact, my wife just got a sign for the wall that says, as for me and my house, we will cheer for the Chiefs. And um, so, uh, it's, it's a big deal in our house. And a lot of you have been asking, like, are you okay, man? Because our team won last year, and then Played in the Super Bowl last weekend, and it did not go the way I, I had hoped. Uh, but congrats to those of you who are Tom Brady fans, and um, you know you cheer for cheaters. And thank and to those of you who are Buccaneers fans. Um, we're, we're, no, 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 I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, I was, I was really, I was over it pretty quickly afterwards. I don't. That's sports. That's why they play the game. And I'm, I'm pretty much over it. And my team was in back-to-back -back Super Bowls. Like, how often does that happen? And people keep coming up to my wife, Amanda. She was up here leading worship, and and they'll say, "Is your husband okay?" And Amanda and I were talking, and she was like, why do they keep asking about you? I'm the one that's dying on the inside. Like, you got over it in five minutes. Amanda's, like, having to see a therapist and all kinds. Of, like, she's really, she's having a hard time. But uh, I'll tell you one of the things that really helped me get over it was, I'm going to read this to you. I've got a friend who's, you know, kind of got a prophetic gifting on his life. And, and um, he actually had a vision of heaven in the future. And um, this is all very biblical. And so he, he sent me this. That was a joke. You'll see why in a second. Uh, he, he sent me this text. He said, hey, man, i got to tell you about this vision, this, this prophetic vision of heaven that I had and um, of the future. And, and he, so he sent me this. He said that Tom Brady, after living a full life, died and went to heaven. And I'm just sharing this with you so you know how I'm cope. This has helped me cope, and I'm okay with what happened. And when they got to heaven, God was showing him around, and they came to a nice little house with a faded Patriots flag in the window and a mostly unflown Buccaneers flag hanging from the gutters. This house is yours for eternity, Tom, said God. 
It's very special. Not everyone gets a house up here. And so Tom, he felt very special indeed and walked up to his house. On his way up to the porch, he noticed another house just around the corner. It was a huge three-story mansion with red and gold sidewalks and driveways. Come on, that's my kind of house. A 50-foot tall flagpole with an enormous Kansas City Chiefs flag waving. A swimming pool in the shape of an arrowhead. A Kansas City logo in every window. And a number 15 Patrick Mahomes jersey on the front door. Tom looked at God and said, God, I, I don't want to be ungrateful, but you know, I, I got a question. He said, I was an all-pro quarterback. I won seven Super Bowls. In fact, I even beat Patrick Mahomes in one of them. And, and I went to the Hall of Fame. And God said, what's your point, Tom? And Tom said, well, if I did all that, why does Patrick Mahomes get a better house than me? God started laughing. He said, Tom, that's not Patrick's house. It's mine. <laughs> Come on. So I'm fine with who won because I know who God cheers for. You know what I'm saying? I can... I'll get over it. He just was showing. He had a little pity on those Tampa fans and let them have one. So man, <laughs> that's funny. I don't care what you say. All right. So we're going to talk about relationships today. And I've got to do something because we didn't have church last week. Uh, last week I was going to preach this message to you. And I needed to get you all fired up for today because of what you heard in church news. Today is the launch of our winter, spring, small group semester. And so I've got to try to do both right now. I've got to get you fired up and get you to take action on the same day. And let me just say to you, especially after the last year that we've all had together, we need healthy, life-giving, God-honoring relationships more than ever. And you need to be in a small group. And everybody who's been in a small group would say, amen. You need to be in a small group. And our group listings are live now at truelife.church forward slash groups. There will probably be a couple more groups added this week, again, with weather and communication getting crossed up. There's, there's a couple more that are, that are on the way. But um, you need to be in a group. You need to do life with somebody. In fact, if you're not sure where to start, I, I would tell you to start with our small groups called Fresh Start. I believe we have one being offered on Tuesday night. Uh, this semester it's virtual through Zoom. Some of them are virtual, some are in person, so you just find what you're comfortable with. But get in a group, build some relationship. And I, like for me, the preferred path of people in our church would be to go through Fresh Start. Like everybody in our church needs to experience the Fresh Start small group. And when you finish that, you need to follow it up with our freedom groups. And you need to experience freedom. And then after that, go to any group you want, all right? Go, go play disc golf, go play flag football, go ride motorcycles, go cook pancakes, go, I don't care what you, just do whatever. What we say is as long as it's not sin and you love to do it, do it and just bring Jesus into it with you. That's a successful small group for us. So the thing that you're doing is not actually the thing. It's getting people together where they can share what's going on in their life and pray for each other and point each other, encourage each other towards Jesus. That's really the thing. And whether you realize it or not, you need a group. I need, I need a group. And uh, so I want to encourage you to participate in that. Uh, it'll help you build healthy God-honoring relationships, which all of us need, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I want to start with a quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God, which will make him happy. And I just want to be honest with you right now. I mean, we, we might have a couple moments of laughter, but I, 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 I'm going to give you some pretty direct stuff here on Valentine's Day. Oh my goodness, I almost forgot. You guys know what today is? 
It is Valentine's Day. Do you know what else it is? Today we turn nine years old as a church, everybody. Happy birthday. Happy anniversary. True. I almost forgot to say it. I can't believe I did it. Now, next year when we turn 10, we'll have a, we'll have a big party. There will be free stuff and cake and all that kind of stuff. But nine is like, eh, all right. So, um, but we're excited. I mean, it's awesome. And it's, and it's also uh, literally Valentine's Day 214 uh, is, this marks five years in this building. We had the grand opening of this building on Valentine's Day 2016. So the church is nine, five years in this building. And man, God has been so good to us, hasn't he? He's been so good. And um, we got even more in the pipeline. There's some decisions we're making right now. I'm just going to ask you, please be faithful. Stay plugged in. You guys who are being generous, stay generous. I need you to stay generous. We're taking some risks and, um, and growing the, the church, growing the team. And, and God's doing some really cool things. All right. This is a problem. All of us are prone to trying to find things in our life to bring fulfillment outside of God. We do it. Um, and there's a theme passage that we're going to use throughout this series that is not normally what I would use to set up a relationship conversation. But I think it's important and I think it's incredibly applicable to our society right now. And Paul wrote it in a letter to the Romans, chapter 1, verse 21. He says, there, he's describing what we call in, in doctrine or theology a reprobate generation. This is, this, these are people who acknowledge the existence of God, but they're not fully surrendered to God. Like, he's there. I know he's there. I even think I know he has a plan for me in a way he'd like me to do my life, but I'm going to do it my way anyway. And Paul is describing what that looks like in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. He says, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God. It's like, hey, God, thank you for salvation. Thank you for church when they sing the songs I like and the air conditioning's working. Uh, thank you for the coffee. Thank, thank you for all the Christian subculture stuff that I do like. But I'm not really going to put you in the place of God in my life. You don't get to have control of everything. I'll, I'll, like, I'll pick and choose. And that's what Paul is describing here, which, by the way, all of us are prone to at different seasons of our life. Can I hear an amen? All right. They wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And so let me just say this to you. When you are not surrendered to the authority of God's word, you will begin to come up with your own ideas of what is acceptable or not acceptable to God. Which is a problem because if I'm determining what's okay with God, that actually makes me God. And I'm not. So Paul says, this isn't good. They're coming up with foolish ideas of what God is like, and as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And as a result, they did violent, degrading things with each other's bodies. They made an exchange. They traded truth, which is an interesting word in our society right now, isn't it? Like, we even have phrases in our society right now about, like, well, I'm living my truth. I don't even, I can't even comprehend that. And I, let me just make a statement to you today. You need to know, if you call true life home, we believe that either truth exists or it doesn't. And if it exists, God and his word are the center of all truth. There's not my version, your version, somebody else's version. There's God's version. He is the author and finisher. All of it was his idea. And as a result, they, 
they, they, they trade, they make this exchange about the truth of God and they trade it for a lie. And that's actually been happening since the first relationship. An exchange between truth and a lie. In fact, the first attack Satan made on people was an attack on relationships. He attacked the very first relationship that ever existed in all of humanity. And, and in fact, that relationship was also a marriage. And he's been attacking relationships and marriage ever since. He wants to destroy it. He wants to destroy you. That's his plan. And so what I want to do right up front is kind of lay a foundation here for the authority of God and God's word. And here, I want you to know, like, if there's a decision you're making in your life or you've got some friends that aren't God-honoring or maybe you're in a romantic relationship that's not really scriptural or God-honoring, this is not a place of judgment and shame. That's not what this is. We are going to shine a light on it. We're going to say, hey, God, God has a better plan. He's got a better way, and he loves you too much not to tell you about it. But the goal of anything we talk about in a relationship series is not to have you going, oh, I'm terrible. No, no, no. That's not what it is. Shame is never one of the tools that God uses to get you where you're supposed to be. Can I hear an amen this morning? There's no shame. Now, he'll allow us to feel remorse. We'll talk about that later. I'm getting ahead of myself. So there's, there's been this strategy of the enemy to get you to trade the truth for a lie. And it's been happening since the very beginning. So here, here's a statement that I want to make this morning. Because relationship was God's idea. He saw Adam. He said, man, it's not good that Adam's alone. So he, he gave Adam Eve, right? Adam and Eve, that's the first relationship. It's also the first marriage. And he said, go be fruitful and multiply. Like, God said, hey, I want more of this. There needs to be more of this. So relationship is God's idea, and anything that is God's idea, the enemy wants to destroy. The enemy wants to attack. And so let me make this statement to you today. This is the foundation for our whole series together. In order for relationships to work, and let me just pause right now. You guys who are watching online, I want you to give in just a second like a thumbs up emoji in the chat or an amen or something. You guys who are here in the auditorium, I just want to ask you, show of hands, how many would like all of your relationships to work? Just show how many would like them to work. Yeah, all, all of us. Some of you are like, I don't care anymore. I hate people. <laughs> and I want to help you with that. I, wanna, I want you to at least get to the place where you have hope again. In order for our relationships to work, because they were God's idea, I'm going to have to let the one who designed them be the one that defines them. Good place for an amen, true life. If I want my relationships to work, then I've got to go to the one who has the blueprint for healthy, God-honoring relationships. And in the first account, that first attack on relationships, I actually want to show you today, I want to expose to you Satan's strategy for ruining your relationships. And he does it with one thing, one word. I'm going to show you five steps. But there's one thing that Satan, it is his best weapon to ruin your relationships. And as soon as I say it, some of you are gonna be like, why did I come to church on Valentine's Day? There's one weapon that the enemy has that works better than anything else at ruining your relationships. You ready? Sin. Sin. What is sin? Uh, like most theologians would describe it simply as missing the mark. 
Like there's a mark that God wants you to aim for, and if you miss the mark, it's sin. Let me describe it for you, uh, I think, an even more applicable way. This actually comes from Scripture. Anytime you do something that you know you weren't supposed to do, that's sin. And Sometimes we make choices unaware of God's plan, God's truth, but once he has revealed his plan to us, once we know better, sin. That's why, like in our parenting, here's a parenting strategy for you. We never correct or scold our children, or we don't discipline our children for anything that we haven't had a conversation about yet. So if my kids, like, grab a glass out of the cabinet, drab it, drop it, break it on the floor, and we've never had a conversation about, hey, you only use the plastic ones, don't touch the glass ones. I'm not going to come into the room and be like, what's wrong with you? You're grounded forever. You broke my favorite glass. Because they didn't know. Are y'all tracking with me? But once they know, well, I still wouldn't scream at them and all that, but, but the, we only introduce consequence once they know. And for some of you today, you're going to go, oh, I didn't know. And now you know. And you're going to have an opportunity to begin to make changes in your life. Anytime we know what we should do, the Bible says it this way, anyone who knows what they ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. And sin is a ruiner of relationships. Sin will make you selfish. It'll get you stuck and it'll trap you in a house of shame. It's, that's what sin wants to, that's what sin will do to your life. And that's the path that Lucifer led Adam and Eve down. Look right here. It says in the garden that there was a serpent. That's that's the enemy, that's Satan who's more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, that's Eve, Watch this. Hey, Eve, God really say don't eat from any tree in the garden? Now, if you know the story, then you know God never said that. There was one tree that God said, hey, stay away from that tree. But look at the craftiness of the enemy. He starts with, hey, did he really say don't eat any of the, from any of the trees? And Eve says, no, 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 we can, we can eat from the trees. But God did say there's, just, there's this one. It's in the middle of the garden that we must not touch it or you will die. And one of the common mistakes people make about that tree is they think of it as the tree of good and evil because Adam and Eve make a bad choice and it introduces evil. It's not the tree of good and evil. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like you were never supposed to know the difference between innocence and guilt. God says, hey, that's, like, that's too big of an issue for you. You, you. That's why we have so much trouble with morality in our society because perfection is too big of an issue for our human minds to settle. Only God is truly holy and perfect. You all tracking with me this morning? So he says, hey, you, like, you weren't really supposed to deal with this and you weren't ever really supposed to know what shame or guilt feels like because you were never supposed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the name of the tree. And, and she says, we're not allowed to eat that one or touch it or we'll die. And look what Satan says. He goes, no, you won't. You're not going to die. For God knows when you eat from it, your eyes are going to be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye 
and also desirable for gaining wisdom. And I don't have time to get into it today, but those are the three levels of lust in your life. My eyes, oh, I like that. I want some. I want to taste it. I want to eat of it. And it's going to make me smarter. It's going to elevate my status. That's, that's how pride and lust take over in our lives. She took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And so what I want to show you here is five steps that the enemy wants to use. It's, it's, it's the same playbook he used on Adam and Eve. Five steps that the enemy wants to use to get us trapped in our sin. And here's what I know. At any given season of my life, I'm wrestling with one of these five, and you are too. Like, righteousness is tough. You know what righteousness is? Righteousness is being right with God, doing everything the way God wants to do it. How many of y'all ever struggle with righteousness? Can I, can I, yeah, so, some of you, see some of you so jacked up, you don't even know how jacked up you are. You didn't even raise your hand. I'm just telling you, you struggle with righteousness. You do, and I do too. All, all of us do, because we are prone to sin, and we have an enemy who's constantly trying to trap us and trick us with some lies. So here's, the, here's his, play, I'm gonna give you Satan's playbook today. Because if he can get you trapped in sin, sin will ruin every relationship in your life. You'll never have meaningful community. You'll never have a healthy marriage. You'll never have healthy parenting. It, it, he'll, he'll ruin it. He'll ruin it. And here's his first step. Is the devil gets us to question God's word. What did he say to Eve? Hey, hey Eve. God, God really say don't eat any of the tree, any fruit from any of the trees. Come on, he really. And then she says, no, 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 but it's just the one. And, and, and the serpent says, oh, come on. He didn't mean that. He didn't mean, that's not for you. That's for somebody, that's for your husband. Your husband's a dummy, but Eve, you're going to be fine. This is the kind of, this is what the enemy does. He gets us to question the authority of God's word, and here's the lie that he's telling us, that God's word isn't totally true. Can I tell you something this morning? You wanna know one of the most dangerous things that the enemy has been successful with in the lives of Christ followers, Christian people? And he, listen to me, Satan will settle for you believing that the Bible is partly true but not all true. Like if he can just get you to question part of it, he'll settle for that. Like, if I could just get you going, ah, it's mostly true, but it's not. And, it, and you know what? That part definitely doesn't apply to me. That's not for, that's, that's not for. This is the tactic the enemy wants to use to get a grip on your life and get you caught in a pattern of making decisions that will destroy you and will hurt you. Aren't you all glad you came to church on Valentine's Day? And this, this is a fun one, isn't it? Come on, you're enjoying yourself? All right. <laughs> but listen, I, I realize, like, this is, this isn't all fun and cheery, and we're not bouncing through a field of daisies today, but look, I'm sick and tired of watching people have their lives destroyed by sin. And it's my job to equip you and to expose what the enemy is doing. And, um, and so we're going to do that today. First Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says, to the th he's actually commending them. To the, the church at Thessalonica, he says, hey, we also thank God continually because when you 
received the word of God, which you heard from us. Paul says, hey, we came, we planted this church, we preached to you, we shared the gospel with you, and you received it when you heard it from us, and you accepted it, not as the word of men, look what Paul says, but as it is the word of, everybody say it, God, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. I love, that's actually a promise right there, that if I believe, if I have a relationship with Jesus, every time I bring God's word into my life, it's gonna work inside of me. Isn't that awesome? It's gonna do something inside of my life. Let me, let me say it to you this way. I'm, actually, I didn't say it. Pastor Timothy Keller did, and I love this quote. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Can I tell you, there's some times I've disagreed with God. Like, really, God, does it, does it have to be that way? But you're God. I'm not. I'll surrender. Here's step two. The devil wants to, or the devil scoffs at the negative consequences of sin. What does he, what does he say to Eve? Eve says, no, no, we can eat from all the trees. It's just the one in the middle. If we touch that one, we'll die. And what does the serpent say? He goes, Eve. You surely won't die. Come on. You ain't got to worry. That's not going to happen to you. You're not going to die. You'll be, Eve, you'll be fine. God, stop worrying. How many times in our lives have we been faced with a choice? And that little, come on, you all remember the little cartoons where there's an angel on one side and a little devil on the other, and they're, they're arguing back and forth about the decision that you make? Can, can, can y'all know that's more real than any of us want to admit, right? But it's actually not going on here, it's going on here. And the Holy Spirit is saying, no, 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 don't, 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 don't. Don't go there. Don't choose that group of friends. Don't take that drink. Don't click on that website. Don't, don't. And the enemy goes, come on, man. You're making too big a deal out of this. You're going to be fine. And here's the lie that he wants us to believe, that that choice won't hurt anything. And you know what bothers me about this? Is I'm I'm standing up here preaching it to you. And sometime this week, I will probably wrestle with, eh, I'll just do it anyway. What's well, one more donut? Right? Eh, it's not going to, I'll be fine. It's not going to, there's no, this consequence isn't going to. And I want you to think back through your life. You know that's not true. How many... I know nobody wants to admit it. How many have lived with the consequence of a bad choice? And it hurts. It's not fun. And then we do it again. We're like, ah, it'll be fine. Why? Because the father of lies is very convincing. He's a good liar. And that's why Proverbs says that, hey, there's a way that appears to be right, 
You're going to convince yourself it's okay, but in the end, you're not going to like where it takes you. You're not going to like where it takes you, which is why our passions need boundaries. Good place to amen right there. Amen, Pastor. That's good preaching. That's good. Thank you. Thank you, sir. That's, I appreciate you saying that. Thank you for that. Amen. Come on, y'all. Our, our passions need boundaries. My, my passions need boundaries. I, there's, I have very strict rules about where I go and what I, there, there are some things that I've just decided, even some things that, like, there's no black and white scripture on it. I can't tell you that the Bible says it's sin, but there's a conviction in my heart about it. And the Apostle Paul says, like, hey, if there's a conviction in your heart about it and you do it anyway, that's sin. So, I, like, there's just some, I know my own tendencies. I, like, I've just got some boundaries. I've got some rules. And there, uh, there's things I don't do. There's places I don't go. There's time, I don't get alone with uh, certain, uh, there's really only one person I like getting alone with. I'm married to her. You all know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I put boundaries I borrow some of the pain from the future. Come on, y'all. You hear me? Before I click on the website, before I entertain the conversation with somebody who I might find attractive at the grocery store, before I, I just, I just want to go, you know what? What would it be like to explain this choice to my kids and all the pain that is going to exist in our family if I make this decision? You borrow a little pain from the future, and that'll help you put boundaries around your passions. Come on, I'm helping somebody today. Can I hear an amen? You got, like, you got to do it. You got to put some boundaries around your passions, because the enemy wants to get you to make some decisions and get you trapped. He'd love for you to believe that your passions can go unchecked with no consequences. In fact, this is how our society is defining relationships now. Roll with your passion no matter what. And anyone who doesn't celebrate you rolling with your passion is a judgmental jerk. No, they actually love you and they want to see you live in freedom instead of bound up in sin and they want to see God blessing your life. Come on, amen, everybody? All right, here we go. Step number three, here's the next step that the enemy takes, is the devil accuses God of evil intent. Eve, did he, did he really say don't eat it? No, 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 he said we can eat from everything except for the one and if we eat from that one, we'll die. No, you won't. You're not going to die, Eve. In fact, he's just, God's just worried you're going to become like him. God, Eve, God wants to keep you under his thumb. He's actually not that good. He's actually not that good. God's kind of messed up. He's kind of twisted. And here's the lie that he gets, here's the lie that he's using right now to perpetuate this in our society. Is he, is he says, hey, righteousness is boring, sin is fun. Living life God's way, come on, you know it's true. But sin, just look at our, look at, watch this. You've just had a year where you've probably been exposed to more digital media and content than you've ever been in your entire life because you're locked in your house. Netflix is up, Hulu's up, come on y'all, Disney Plus, like everybody's, we're locked, we got nowhere to go, so we're sitting here and now what are we left with? 
We're left with watching what society says are healthy relationships. Isn't it interesting that as our exposure to all of those things went up, so did depression, so did anxiety, so did domestic abuse, so did pornography use, so did divorce. Come on, you all hearing me this morning? And the enemy's saying, oh, righteousness is boring because sin is fun. And you want to know the truth? It is for a few minutes. And then the consequences come. It is fun. I got some choices I made in my youthful days. When I discovered girls, I was like, oh my gosh, they're awesome. Come on, y'all. Anybody with me? And then if I could go back and do, do it all over again, some of those fun moments led to some of the biggest traps in my life. If I could go back and undo it, I would in a heartbeat. And the truth is, righteousness is actually fun. Can I hear an amen? Living right with God is actually fun. You want to know why? Because you're free. No guilt. No shame. No skeletons in the closet. That's why David said, you will show me the path of life in your presence. God is fullness of joy. Righteousness is not boring. It's awesome. And at your right hand are, come on, y'all say it. At your right hand are, Pleasures. Righteousness isn't boring. It's awesome. And it lasts longer. Forever. Come on. That's awesome. That's why, look, you need to know this. The most loving thing God could ever do for you is call you out from your sin. The most loving thing that my Heavenly Father has ever done for me is shine a light on the dark places in my heart and my life. No shame. He's not heaping guilt or condemnation on me. He's just saying, hey, hey, hey. Michael, I, I know you don't want anybody to know about this. I know you, don't, you really don't want this part of your life to be exposed. But if we don't go there, you're not going to make it. I can't do what I want to do with your life unless we deal with this part of it. And listen to me, y'all. God can't do his full work in you until he has your whole heart. He's got to have your whole heart. Step four. The devil advertises sin as beneficial. Oh, Eve, you're not going to die. God's, he's just worried you'll become back to him. In fact, Eve, when you eat this fruit, you're going to, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to become more like God than you ever met. You're going to, you're going to be smarter. And what is the, the passage says? When Eve realized that it was going to taste good, that it was beneficial for eating, and that it was beneficial for knowledge, wisdom, that's when she made the decision. This is what the enemy does. He advertises it as beneficial. Here's the lie. Here's the way it's being perpetuated in our world right now. He's saying, hey, your life will be better if you lead it. You, you go ahead. I, I know they don't use this anymore, but when, when I was young and cool, we would say, get on with your bad self. Right? Or, or, or we say it this way, I'm just going to do me. I'm just going to do me. 
Listen, I'm all for rolling with the personality and the gifts and the talents that God gave you. But be careful, be very careful that doing me is not a, a statement of prideful arrogance that I'm just going to do life my way. I don't really care what anybody else has to say about it because your Heavenly Father has a lot to say about it. And he cares about you and he cares about the consequences that come from that. And that's why Paul said to the Corinthians, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You're bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Hey, God, this isn't mine. It's yours. And my life is better with you in charge. And y'all just hit pause for a second. I just feel like I want to call an audible right now. Jared or somebody, if you could help me get word back. I don't think we're going to run a tag at the end of service. I think we're just going to have some time for prayer, all right? So Michaela can come out or somebody, whoever's playing that thing can go ahead and come out. But we probably won't hype it back up. We'll just have time for prayer. All right. Let me say this to you this way. Giving up something now for something better later, that's not a sacrifice. It's an investment. It's an investment. Listen, no shame, no guilt. I know some of you are in the room and you're going, yeah, but I already gave up a lot. I already made, I already made some choices. I, like, I can't go back and redo those. I understand. I, I, me too. But I want you to know something. Your Heavenly Father can restore your purity. He can give you a reset. He can give you a fresh start. And some of you are listening to this message today, whether it's here or online. And you've been toying with a relationship or a decision. You're on the verge of making a decision. You've, you've even been thinking like, does my purity really matter that much? I really hate the way our society perpetuates this. We even, we even talk about sexual purity like there's this whole mindset now that like all that purity stuff, that's old school, don't worry about that. Go ahead, go ahead. You need to find out if you're compatible. What? Can I just let you in on a secret? If you have the anatomy, you're compatible. It's going to work. I thought that was funnier in my head when I, sit, when I practiced it in my I thought y'all would be like, ha, ha, ha. You don't need to figure that out. It's going to work. Make the investment for something better later on. Can I hear an amen? Parents, you got teenagers, you got middle schoolers, I'm just telling you, you better beat society to this conversation. Because the enemy would love to have these conversations with your kids before you do, and he'd love to define relationships for them with a standard that is not held in the, in the Word of God. And you better get to that conversation before the world does. Oh, that's kind of... I'm kind of freaked out. I'm kind of scared of that. I know we were too. 
but it is so healthy. It's so healthy. In fact, I got, after we shared, you know what I'm saying? I got, I got this look, like, and this is just, this is what I got. You're disgusting. <laughs> I've talked to multiple parents, too, who got the exact same. But I'm just telling you, you better beat society, you better beat the world to this conversation. Because the enemy would love, love, love to define it before the word of God gets a chance to. Here's step five. The devil uses sin to create shame because he wants to ruin all your relationships forever. Like even right now, talking about this, some of you are sitting here going, I don't don't even know if I can go to this church because I'm... That's shame. That is a tactic of the enemy. It is not a tactic of heaven. Can I hear an amen? God never uses shame. He will allow you to feel conviction about your choices. But the win for him is always to get you free. Not bound up in shame. What the enemy wants to do is he wants to get you caught up. He he, he wants to get you all caught up in those first four steps, those first four lies. And then he really reveals his true nature on the last one. All those first four, you, you believe in the serpents, your buddy, your pal. Oh, it's fine. There's no consequences. And God's just trying to keep you under his thumb. And you're actually going to be, you're going to be better. You're going to be smarter, Eve and, and Adam too. Y'all, like it's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. And then the moment we sin, the father of lies turns on us. He shows us their true nature. And this is what he says to us. He says, hey, God can't love you. Look at you. You know how, look how messed up you are. It's too late. Go hide. God, God, God's got nothing. God's not gonna, he can't do anything with you. God's got nothing for you. You don't deserve his love. You don't deserve the cross. Look how bad you are. You're so, look how, all the shame and the guilt. And he wants to, he just piles it on us. And he'll get you trapped there. And that's why David said, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. Come on, wouldn't you rather have joy than shame? You'd be be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame, none, will darken their faces. God doesn't want you living in shame. He doesn't want you living in a pattern of sin that is going to ruin all of your relationships. In fact, I just want to give you three words that will help you find your way back. Wherever you are in those five steps, whichever one the enemy is whispering into you right now, there's a way back. There's a way back to to getting what God wants for your life and for your relationships. And the first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to deal with your defensiveness. Like you're going to have to, you're going to have to take your mask off. You're going to have to let the walls come down. You're going to have to have some conversations with somebody where you say, hey, like I need, I just need somebody to know what's really going on with me. Because the lie of sin will get you, you, you'll, you'll get so entrenched in your patterns 
You'll even, even though the world is falling apart around you and you're not getting any of the results you actually want, you'll still try to defend your position and your behavior. This happens to us all the time in, in pastoral ministry roles. Is people will come to us and they'll say, hey, my life is a wreck, what should I do? And we'll say, well, tell me about it. Give me some details. They'll give us details. Maybe it's a marriage that's on the rocks or whatever. They'll give us details. We'll say, okay, look, let's start here. This is what the Bible says. Let's start here. Why don't we just create this? Let's try creating a healthy pattern here. Ah, I don't think that'll work for me. I wish somewhere in the Bible, one of the methods for ministry that God would have given us that would have been effective would have looked something like this. Because we get, we defend it. Don't, you can't, don't touch that. I want to get better, but you can't go there. Well, you're not going to get better unless we get to go there. Amen? All right. Jesus modeled this. Oh, thank God he modeled this. Aren't you thankful for that sentence right there? Not my will, but yours, God. It'd be easier to not go to the cross. It'd be easier to not take all the whipping and the pain and the crown of thorns and all. But not my will. yours and after you get rid of your defensiveness you're gonna you're gonna feel some remorse and that's good for a little while God doesn't want you living in remorse that's where shame comes in so it's good to realize oh I messed that up I wish I hadn't but then the next thought is not, I bet, I bet God hates me now. No. The next thought has to be, thank you, God, for exposing that in my life. Now show me how to fix it. Y'all tracking with me? That's why Paul said, there is no condemnation. Listen to me, y'all. No condemnation. It doesn't matter what you did last night. No condemnation. You can worship with just as much intensity today as you can any other Sundays, and it doesn't matter what you did last night or this week or last month or last year. You can go and be in the presence of God because there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You're going to have to deal with your defensiveness, wrestle with the remorse, and ultimately, and I know this is going to sound like a repeat of two Sundays ago, and I, if you were here, I as a very much out of my comfort zone, I, I came to church with eight words and two scriptures for you and just tried to be obedient, and I actually think these two words are the like kind of a word for this season we're in as a church together because if you really want to have healthy relationships you're going to have to develop a pattern of surrender and repentance God I'm not in charge 
you are. This is not mine. This body, this life, none of it. It all belongs to you. I surrender. And when you have authentic surrender, you will always have repentance. The two go hand in hand. Because in a place of genuine surrender, now the Holy Spirit has the freedom to come down and put his finger on that thing in your heart and say, hey, 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 man, I, Michael, you got to figure out how to deal with your temper, man. You're going to pass that on to the next generation, and you, you don't want your kids to deal with it. So let, let's, let's work on it. And so what is repentance? Repentance is not, you're right, God, I'm terrible. I got a bad temper. No, it's just, yeah. Okay, God, help, help me with that. I'm going to stop doing it my way. I'm going to turn and do it your way. That's repentance. That's repentance. 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Godly sorrow brings change, repentance, that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Let me say it to you this way as we close. Repentance is just a moment of pain. Just a brief, oh, wish I hadn't done that. <sighs> Listen, you wanna, here's a free marriage tip. My wife and I just celebrated 20 years. You wanna know the secret? Repentance. Hey, honey, I'm sorry. I know that hurt. I'm gonna try to say it a different way next time. And I'm going to tell you, in a good, healthy marriage, that happens a lot. Can I hear an amen? A lot. A healthy marriage is just a race to humility. I'm sorry. I'm going to do it different. Repentance is just a, a brief moment of pain, but being unrepentant, that's a lifetime of it. Because you'll, you'll just repeat the patterns over and over and over. You'll mess it up over and over and over. Bow your heads and close your eyes if you would. We're going to have a just a moment of prayer here. And I just want to ask you, are you surrendered? Like for real? Like fully surrendered? Like could God tell you anything right now and you would just say, Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never had a moment of surrender with God. You, maybe you've even been coming to church for years. Listen, I, 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 just, I just need you to know, Christian, you're not a Christian because you come to church. You're not a Christian because you grew up coming to church or because mom and dad are Christians or grandma and grandpa are Christians or your aunts and uncles are Christians. What makes you a follower of Jesus is to have a moment of surrender and to say to Jesus Christ, you are the Lord of my life. I don't want to be in charge anymore. From this day on, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins, all my mistakes, and from this day on, you take the lead. You be in charge. That, that's what makes you a follower of Jesus. That's where Christianity is birthed. Is it in, in, a, in a faith moment, in, an act of surrender to make him the Lord of your life? And if you've never done that before, why don't you just do it right now? Just go ahead, just heads out, eyes closed, nobody looking around. Just, why don't you just do it right now? Jesus, today... I'm surrendering to you. I don't want to be in charge anymore. 
you can have control of my life. You're the Lord of my life. You're going to be the king of my heart. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying on the cross and forgiving my sins. Thank you that I don't have to live with regret and shame. That if I come to you for help, I'm going to actually experience joy. I give you permission, Holy Spirit, from this day on to call out the choices in my life that don't honor you and don't line up with your word. And I'll listen. And I'll obey. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Some of you have been in church forever. You've been a Christian forever. You've had a moment of surrender. But for whatever reason, your life is not being lived in surrender right now. And maybe you're even feeling the consequences of that in your relationships. Listen, today is not about making you feel guilty. It's about getting you to a place of surrender and repentance. So Christ follower, here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to pray for you. I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you. And, and then we're just going to leave this room and let you spend some time with the Lord. You stay for two minutes, ten minutes. You can stay till the next service starts if you want. That's in 15 minutes. And we'll just kind of have some prayer music playing in here. And you take your time. And I want to encourage you to go to the Holy Spirit this morning and say, God, would you, would you point out the areas of my life that aren't surrendered? Lead me to repentance. Expose the lies of the enemy that I've been believing in my heart and my life. And lead me back, God. Help me to drop my walls of defensiveness. Help me to deal with that, that remorse so that I can surrender and repent. Heavenly Father, you know right where we're at today. You know where each and every heart is. You know what's going on in our lives and our worlds. I pray for each and every one today. God, bring us to a place of surrender, just like Amanda and I have been praying, God, a spirit of surrender over this house, over this church. Our lives are yours, God. Come and have your way. Come and do whatever you want in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Stay and pray as long as you want. We didn't get to talk about it last week, but it's the beginning of the month. So I just want to encourage you to be faithful with your tithe and your offering. We're, we're taking some big risks this year, and so I appreciate you doing that. God's going to honor it. I know that. And um, you guys who are watching online, you're going to see a link to our online connection card. Let us know how we can serve you, pray for you. Let us know if you made a decision to follow Jesus today. You guys go ahead and just put on some, some music softly. You guys are officially dismissed. You can stay and pray for a little bit if you'd like. Or if you're ready to go, that's fine too, all right? Whatever works for you. We love you guys. Have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you next Sunday.